have a strange relationship with today's case. It happened a few months before the podcast launched, and I followed the story with interest. A brutal double murder in a nice suburban neighborhood in Macomb County. My dad and I talked about it. Honestly, we were shocked by this one, because things like this don't just happen in Clinton Township. It's not that kind of community. Dad and I figured the case would resolve quickly. After all, Clinton Township has a well-run, well-staffed police force. The detectives in that community, they've seen a thing or two. But the case didn't resolve quickly. The investigation was hot at first. There were promising leads, and then nothing. There was a lot of nothing. I mean, they had leads. There were tips. People called in with reports, sightings people who they thought should be checked out. Unfortunately, it was not the right person or the right lead or the right tip. So while the case, it was being worked, but it wasn't moving. In the early part of 2019, just a couple of years after the murder, I was living off and on in Clinton Township. In fact, I live just a couple of miles from where the crime took place. Back in January of 2019, I learned that my father was dying. In order to care for him, I was splitting my time between his apartment in Clinton Township and my home in Oakland County. Being in Clinton Township, driving through that community, checking out the neighborhood where the crime happened, my interest in the case increased. I took time to talk to the department. I talked to reporters. Heck, I was even interviewed for a story about this case. And if you'd like to read the story, I put a link in the show notes. The murder of Jim and Christy McHugh was never far from my mind, but the time never seemed right to create an episode about it. Then, in late 2020, I started a new side project, doing mini-podcast episodes, each episode five or maybe ten minutes long, on cases from the Detroit area, and I was doing these little episodes for a local radio station, 93.1. The McHugh murder? It was high on my list of cases to cover. After the mini-episode was released, I received a message from Jim McHugh's niece. She asked if I would cover the case. Cover it for real, not just a mini-episode. It was important to her, and to her mother, Jim's sister, that the community know the real story, that this wasn't just a murder. Jim and Christy were real people with good jobs, a happy marriage, and a loving, supportive family. They weren't involved in anything criminal or nefarious. Jim and Christy were kind, decent, and giving, not just to their family, but to friends in need. Jim and Christy died in a horrific and violent attack on a snowy January night, an attack that was so violent, when police arrived and saw the bodies, they at first thought there'd been a shooting. Jim and Christy are much loved, and they are missed, and like so many people we talk about on the podcast, they deserve justice. After talking to Jim's niece, I had a conversation with Christy's brothers. Talking with them, I came to realize the brutality of the murders. And listeners, I cannot express to you how bad things really were in that house. Someday, hopefully at a trial, the details will emerge, but until then, take my word for it. Jim and Christy died violently, and possibly at the hands of someone that they knew and trusted. 
Over the course of this episode, you'll hear from Christie's brothers, Lou and Michael Rahal. They had the misfortune of discovering the bodies. Having communicated with them for weeks prior to releasing the episode, I've learned so much from them. Like Jim and Christy, these are good people from a nice family, and they have had their hearts broken by this senseless murder. Losing a loved one is hard, and losing a loved one to a violent crime, that's harder. But seeing them like that, being the one to find the bodies, being subjected to the carnage and cruelty up close, firsthand? I can't imagine. So come with me to a cold and snowy night in January 2016, when Jim and Christy McHugh spent their last night at home, together. On that Thursday night, January 14th, 2016, Jim and Christy were taking care of chores. Christy kept a lovely home, and she prided herself on things being clean and orderly. While Jim was outside clearing snow from the driveway and walk, Christy was in the living room. She made and received a couple of calls on her cell phone as she took down Christmas decorations, carefully packing ornaments in tissue paper as she put them away. Meanwhile, out in the garage, Jim had a workshop. Jim was handy, and he had his own space for working, or sometimes puttering with projects. He was also known to step into the garage when he wanted to have a cigarette, sitting on an upturned bucket while he smoked, worked, or listened to music. It was in that garage, and Jim had the garage door open because he'd been clearing snow, that his killer approached. Because Jim did not react with alarm or call for Christy, I believe that he knew, or at least recognized the person who came in. This person, or perhaps persons, got close enough to Jim to strike him, knocking him to the concrete floor of the garage. The beating, the attack on Jim, it continued. A brutal attack that split his skull, but it did not kill him. And we'll come back to that point in a moment. With Jim incapacitated, the killer then entered the house where he encountered Christy, tiny Christy McHugh, sitting among Christmas decorations with her tissue paper, tape, and scissors. She saw the killer, and she tried to get away. Her body would be found near the front door of the home. But Christy didn't make it. Like her husband, she was the victim of a severe beating. The killer knocked her to the floor, then knelt on her back as he struck her repeatedly. Then, just as quickly and quietly as he'd entered, the killer was gone. The house on Others Street, it went quiet. The killer didn't take much. While there were valuables throughout the home, many left in plain sight, it's my understanding that only Christie's phone was taken. After getting a subpoena to access the data, police used cell phone activity to narrow down the time of the attack. Early evening, perhaps between 6.30 and 8 p.m. The next morning, Friday, January 15th, Christy did not show up for work. Christy works in the family business with her brothers, Lou and Michael. The Rahal family is close-knit. Seeing each other every day, it was normal. It's something they enjoy. When Christy didn't arrive at the office, they called her, but she didn't pick up. 
nor did she respond to text messages. Now, Jim, he had some medical problems, nothing too serious. But her brothers thought, well, maybe Jim had an appointment this morning and she can't get to her phone. But listeners, her brothers knew. They spent that morning with knots in their stomach. Even as they worked and sat through meetings, something felt off. It was lunchtime when Michael decided he would drive to the McHugh home and check on his sister. Imagine his surprise as he pulled up and saw his brother Lou arriving as well. The two men looked at each other and honestly, I think they knew, deep down, that something was seriously wrong. The brothers went to the garage and opened it, peering inside. And from here, I will let them share their story. And this, when it happened, was the day before, um, on the 14th. We discovered the bodies on the 15th. When Christy didn't show up for work, Michael and I um, started calling each other. Uh, We normally talk every morning, have lunch every day together. And uh, about 9.30, we're getting pretty concerned. Nobody heard from Christy. And we knew that um, it was going right into voicemail, which is unusual for Christy to have her phone turned off completely. So um, Michael and I just decided that um, we'd give it a little bit of time. It was only 930 in the morning. Jim's phone was ringing, but it wasn't ans- he wasn't answering it. And Jim's pretty sick, so... Um, he had some health issues at the time with his veins, and um, we figured maybe they just were at the doctor's, so gave it a little bit of time. Michael and I said, well, if we don't hear nothing, you know, by about 11 o'clock, you know, maybe we'll take a ride over there. And um, I was going about my business. I went to go have a meeting at another shop. Michael went about his business. And I don't know what hit me, but at an exact specific, before I even went to the meeting, I actually drove by their house and I saw Jim's truck in the driveway and uh, Christie's car wasn't outside. So um, we just assumed they might've taken Christie's car to take Jim to the doctor. So, I, I mean, it all looked normal. The house looked intact. There was nothing out of place from the outside. So I took off to go to my meeting, but Nina, it was so weird as I looked at the garage door as I was leaving, visually in my head, I could see in my head, Jim laying on the ground. I mean, it was just my brain running away with me is what I thought at the moment, you know. You had a premonition. It just was a premonition is all it was. And I'm calming myself down and saying, Louie, you're freaking out. Come on. It's, you know, you just haven't talked to your sister in the morning. It's not that unusual. It's not that late. You know, went to the meeting, talked to Michael before I went into my meeting. He hadn't heard from them. So I went into my meeting and then out of nowhere, I just had another premonition. I just walked up. I got up out of the meeting in the middle of a sentence, someone talking and said, I got to go. Is something wrong, Lou? I says, I hope not, but I just got to go. I'll I'll call you guys. I walked out, drove to their house. Right as I'm pulling up, ironically enough, Michael's car, without knowing I was going there, we didn't plan it, pulls up at the exact same second as I did. And um, 
got out of the cars and said, did you go in yet? And he says, I just pulled up. I said, so did I. Let's go in. So we hit the garage code. And unfortunately, as the door started slowly coming up, the premonition that I had was unfortunately the reality. Jim was laying on the ground in the garage in a pool of blood. They said that Jim lived through the night because he had uh, all the, the blood in his body had to uh, had to come out before he died. That's what the detective said. So he, oh wow! But yeah. But um, but when we opened the door and saw Jim, uh, we we were kind of in shock. Uh, I don't know how we were looking at it, but we were kind of in shock. So we we told each other, well, at least we don't have to worry about Christy because um, she's all right. And then we realized that we were leaning on Christy's car, so she was there. It was like, well. What's going on here? Yeah. I mean, when we saw Jim's body, I, all the air left in my all the air left my body. His, yeah, his his head was split in half, and and there was some. It was just it, it had to be some kind of mistaken identity or or something. Just the most beautiful person never hurt a soul. Getting victimized like that is just hard, but. You know, I mean, it was such a shock. All the air, like I said, left my body. I couldn't even breathe. And leaning up against Christie's car, so was Michael. Just saying, God, I hope she's not inside there while we're not realizing we're leaning up against her car while we're saying that. So You were in shock. Christy, their little sister, was in that house, and her brothers had the unspeakable experience of finding her remains. Remember how I mentioned earlier that Jim was gravely injured, that his head was split open? The beating did not kill him. Jim survived for hours after the attack, his blood pooling around his body as it lay on the floor of the garage. Christie's brothers called the police, and the media descended on the scene. At first, law enforcement was optimistic. The McHugh home was located literally yards away from a strip mall a strip mall with cameras pointed in the right direction to assist them. In a frustrating twist, those cameras, they were not recording, they were just viewing. What could have been a game-changing piece of evidence fizzled out, leaving both family and investigators frustrated. Then there was the house itself. I mentioned earlier that Christy liked things clean and tidy. Well, some people might describe Christy as a neat freak. But her keeping a spotless home, that helped police see what was out of place, and it allowed them to track the course of a violent, life-or-death struggle. Also, in the months prior to the murder, Jim's sister, her nickname is Lou, and she's Jim's little sister, she'd had some health struggles. Jim and Christy welcomed her into their home, allowing her to recover both physically and financially from her time of ill health during much of 2015. Because she knew the household well, Lou was able to assist police. She could tell them what items were missing or had been disturbed. 
As police worked the case and loved ones came to terms with the devastating loss, the question was asked time and again, who would do this and why? Jim and Christy were good people. Look, I know you've heard that before, but truly, they were good people. And I could believe the family because they've had so many nice things to say about the couple, but in the process of working on this episode, I had a flyer made up about the case. The flyer included a photo of Jim and Christy, some rough details of the crime, information about the reward, and of course, contact information for law enforcement. When I shared this flyer in the Clinton Township Residence Group, the comments came quickly. Those are my neighbors. I know them. They ate breakfast at the cafe where I work. I recognize that couple. They frequented my local small business. People knew Jim and Christy, and they were happy to share what lovely, warm, and generous people they were. The McHughes had been married for years, happily married for years. The Rahals loved Jim and his family, and Jim's family, particularly his kid sister, loved the Rahals. And in case you were wondering, the family was cleared by law enforcement. Neither the Rahals nor the McHughes are suspects or persons of interest in this crime. When the coroner releases the bodies and Jim and Christy are laid to rest, literally thousands of people came to pay their respects. Again, we'll hear from Christy's brothers. We had uh, close to 1,100 people at the funeral. Probably more than that there. There was 1,100 signatures. You know how many people didn't wait in that line? That line was around the building to sign the book. Wow. Yeah, they were beautiful people. They closed down the other half of the funeral just to fit ours in. And that was yeah. people from the community, people from the neighborhood, people from work, people in the families. Yes, and uh, it was really beautiful. Um, probably never expected to have that many there. Um, so, you know, we wanted to make it, you know, not so sad and ordered some catering and sandwiches and I mean everything ran out around seven, eight o'clock and it was just like a little army of our friends and customers that went to the store and restocked everything funeral home. You know, it was really a tribute. Yeah, it was beautiful. And um, you know, everybody was genuinely just so sad and so hurt because they touched so many lives. I mean Jim was Technically, you could call him our brother-in-law, but he was true blue, 100% our brother. I mean, there was no in-law there. He was truly our brother. He was a good man. Honest, first one to help you if you needed it. Both of them were like that. They were just good souls. And they'd been together for a long time, right? They sure were. They celebrated uh, 21 years anniversary and they were together a few years before that yeah they were they were together a long time they were so cute together too they were they were soulmates for sure yeah yeah, they sure were and how long had they lived in their house there in clinton township it was longer than that probably well yeah it was all of that probably if I remember right, I think they moved in around 2000. 
Okay, so they'd been in that house for more than 15 years. Yeah, yeah they sure were. It's a great neighborhood at one time, you know, all the neighbors all knew each other. It's such a shock that somebody could actually get in and out of there without somebody spotting them. I mean, it's just such a shock that. I've talked to Jim's family and Christie's family. I've talked to the local press, to the Clinton Township Police. And I can tell you that people are engaged and motivated. We just need the right person to step forward and reveal what they know. There is a generous reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons who murdered Jim and Christie on January 14th, 2016. We could get some closure on this. we got a sizable reward out there that we would love to give away to anybody that can bring the case to a close. And that reward is for, can, can you talk a little bit about the reward sure. and, and what that looks like? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it started with the $25,000 reward originally. And um, we had a candlelight vigil and we're talking to Captain Marley and really wanted to try and increase maximum pressure on this. So we we, we ended up bumping the reward to $50,000. So there's a $50,000 cash reward out there for the person who can help us close this case. So for information leading to an arrest in the case, there's a generous cash reward. An arrest and conviction. And they can stay completely anonymous. They don't have to divulge their identity at all. The Clinton Township police detectives are very good about that, protecting the anonymity of somebody if they want to come forward. Okay, that's excellent. And hopefully we can motivate the right person to do the right thing. Well, we sure hope so, because this is between this and the uh, coronavirus. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult time. Yeah, so we appreciate you calling, and, and we appreciate uh, talking to anybody. That it means an awful lot to us. It's hard to talk about, but keeping her story and his story alive is so important. If there's ever going to be a chance to find the person that did this. And the only thing I can say to that person, if they're listening, if they are out there, is that you might think you're protecting somebody, but you don't know who you're hurting in the future. Whoever did this crime has no soul and no one is safe around that person. I can guarantee that from what I've seen. I I agree. Someone who would murder two people like this so violently is a danger to all of us. Before we wrap up, I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about theories. One of the nice things about having that reward flyer made up and posting it online is that I was able to correct some misconceptions about the case. Some assumed that it was solved. Others thought, oh, it was a domestic issue, wasn't it? But neither of those are accurate. This is a clear-cut case of murder, a double homicide. Someone came to that home that night with one thing on their mind, and the question is, why? Why target this house? Why choose these people? I've heard theories that this was a case of mistaken identity, 
that someone thought they were attacking the home of someone involved in illicit activity, thus the aggressive and brutal nature of the attack. And yes, it's possible that Jim and Christy were murdered when the killers were actually looking for someone else entirely. Then, I've heard that maybe someone was angry with them. Someone that Jim and Christy knew. We know that they were generous people, that they opened their home to many friends and relatives who needed an ear, a shoulder, or a soft place to land. Could they have opened their home to the wrong person? Someone who returned their kindness with the worst sort of cruelty. Yeah, it's possible. If you have information about the case, about the January 14th, 2016 murder of Jim and Christy McHugh, please contact Crime Stoppers or the Clinton Township Police Department. You'll find contact information in the show notes. If you live in Macomb County, please consider sharing the reward flyer via social media. Again, we need the right person to step forward, and the more people who know about this case, the more likely it is that someone will speak up. As always, if you called in a tip or a lead previously, please call again. Things happen, messages get lost or mislaid. You can support Already Gone by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com and use code GONE at checkout for a special savings on your first month. Special thanks to the Ray Hall and McHugh families, as well as the Clinton Township Police Department. Shout out to Nick Mordawanik of CNG Newspapers for his continued interest in this case. This week's episode was edited by Cesare Gray of Gray Multimedia. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe. We have faith that this is still going to unfold, that we're going to get justice in the end. We have to have faith. Once you lose that, you've lost everything. Mm-hmm.